Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode, we are joined by the one and only Chris Sutton. How are you getting on, Chris? Very, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and I'm, of course, I'm joined by my co-host Stephen. How are you getting on, Stephen? I'm good. It's a horrible day here, right enough, but um, I'm good to go. Excited, excited to be here. Uh, is, is it's, that... it's sunny down here, you know where I am. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, too too hot. I've had to come in. <laughs> oh, just, it's, just it's terrible in, here. <laughs> so, so Chris, you've uh, you've come out with a, a a football book. It's called You're Better Than That: How to Fix Modern Football. Um, do you want to just summarise for, for the listeners how the book came about and, and what it's about? Uh, well, as a as a former footballer, I suppose it, it may be a surprise to many that footballers can actually uh, uh, write. Um, and uh, no, it's something I've been, I've been doing a, a radio show down south, a big football phone-in uh, called 606 uh, yeah. on, a, on a Saturday evening. And that's where the catchphrase from the book uh, you're better than that came from with uh, with my co-host Ali Bruce Ball we have a game called the simulation game and we've been calling out the divers and the cheats players who go down too easily and we play little clips um, of uh, of commentary footage uh, and there, there's been loads of players who have dived uh, up north and down south north of the border you know the, I suppose the likes of Morelos I think Callum McGregor in fairness dived as well to, mm. to balance up earlier on uh, last season, but down south, you know the likes of of Harry Kane, Mo Salah, they're all at it. So what we do, we're we're, we're trying to stop the diving in the game. And and my catchphrase is, we play the clip, and I say, "You're better than that, <laughs> Harry Kane. Come on!" And uh, and that's where the title of the book uh, came from. But it's, I mean, the book is a, a wide variety of uh, of subjects within the game and and we all have a common interest we all absolutely love football adore football it's it's the best sport in the world but there are so many issues uh within the game which no doubt need sorting out and uh, and as you probably well know i do like to uh, to have a, a a rant and a rave and a, <laughs> and a moan at things but the difference with this book is that uh, to, to many other books is while i'm having a, a good moan um I'm, I'm actually giving giving cures so there is a uh, there's a purpose to my preaching if you like so i'm you know i'm giving solutions to the problems like yeah. You know, like diving, like, uh, you know, fans, football fans being fleeced. Talk about, uh, you know, the managerial merry-go-round. And there was football before the Premier League. People, you know, don't think that that football existed years ago. And of of course it did. And uh, and just touching on on, 25 topics all in all. 
uh, and getting really stuck into them. And I've, I've really enjoyed doing it. I mean, there are some there are some heavy subjects in there, mm. you know, like uh, like the issues uh, in the game with uh, dementia. Uh, but there's also yeah. some some lighthearted topics as well. Front and centre, you've got properly punished divers, and and I think that's one thing that all football fans can get behind. Um, a couple of my friends are, are you know fans of rugby, and I know yourself. I think you're a cricket fan, and that's the one thing they always point to with, with professional football is this needless diving, the rolling about. I, I don't think there's one fan in the game you'll find who can can really support diving. Even when your own team do it, you sort of look at it and you think you win a wee bit. It's kind of cringeworthy and pathetic, isn't it? Yep, and uh, you know I've you know I I played the game, and I think everybody knows that there is there is so much focus on it now, and certainly with the addition of uh, a VAR down south that hasn't come up north yet. When it does come no, up north, I just to look forward to. I, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, you know the way it's it's been handled down south, but when you when you actually can. Uh, you know, can, can look back over the footage and, and re- referees have that option and they have the referees, there's a place called Stockley Park down south and they're looking at incidents and, and they're making the wrong calls. That becomes even more of a frustration. But the deterrent, the point about diving, in my view, the deterrent isn't uh, isn't big enough, isn't, isn't strong enough. You know, a yellow card isn't enough for a dive. And uh, I don't want to tell you all the cures because I don't want to spoil the no, book no. for the people who buy it, but there needs to be a stronger deterrent and I come up with, you know, with a couple of ones which which I think makes, you know, absolutely perfect sense. Do you ever worry that football in the UK is a kind of something of a last outpost when it comes to being outraged about diving because it seems to be becoming more and more widely accepted as part of the game outside of the UK. We, are, as fans, are still disgusted by it and we, we still get outraged and we talk an awful lot about it on the podcast. It has become a bit of a running joke about uh, a certain Sky Pundit's uh, tiresome attitude towards it, Andy Walker. But um, I'm relieved to both read in the book and hear you talking about how you, you don't seem to tolerate it. I've heard the likes of Brazilian pundits on UK-based podcasts, and they can't understand why we even care about it. They just—it's just widely accepted as part of the game. So I'm—I'm I'm glad that there are still people fighting against it. Oh, well, I'm glad that, that you think that way, and I think uh, uh, you know most football fans do feel that way. It's—we we can't have it as part and parcel of the game. I just—I just take you back to the to the UEFA Cup final uh, against Porto. And we lost the game, and they were a good team, and totally understand that it was, you know, the whole UEFA run was such a great moment in, you know, my own life to be part of the, the Celtic yeah. team that set up Martin O'Neill, you know, to, to to play in that particular team. But the final left a really sour, uh, bitter taste in, in everybody's mouths because of the way. Porto, the Porto players play acted and dives, and I think that um, the, the what's happened uh, in this country is, you know, we actually got to the point where uh, um, where everybody was thinking, well, do you know what? If everybody's diving abroad, we're going to have to start diving mm-hmm. here. You know, we yeah. need to even things up. Do I understand that mindset? Yes, I do. Does it make it right? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. And some of the dive, I mean, it's actually getting worse. I think it's actually got worse this season. And it's it's been absolutely shameful. So, 
I mean, I think players players have actually practiced dive, or they practice diving in training. You couldn't you couldn't make yeah. it up, could you? Uh, Chris, have you, you you've taken a dive? Admit it, come on. Well, look, all I would say <laughs> is this: is if you're going to dive, make it a good one, make it a realistic <laughs> one, and then let let everybody judge. I think the issue, the, the serious issue, is is. Is there are incidents which happen inside the penalty area where players are fouled, and because they don't go down, then they yeah. they end up not getting the penalty. But I mean that that's an issue for referees, and they need to, you know, get get more decisions right than wrong at the moment. This season, it has been um, absolutely farcical. I think we're in in terms of diving. Of course, this will be overwhelming. We're listened to by Celtic fans, and some of them may be wondering that in a book that seeks to fix football's ills, how long it would take you to mention the Porto game. And I reckon it's, what, six pages <laughs> six, or so? <laughs> so? Six pages before yeah, we get but, to... but you can imagine. I mean, look, we are however many years on, what was 17, 18 yeah. years on. It's still, you know, do do I think about it every day? Absolutely not. But... I've never won a European final. And you can imagine, you know, it, it rankles. It hurt 70,000, 80,000 Celtic fans went out there. It was it, it was brilliant to be a part of it. As a player, though, you know, it, it, it you know, it's it's painful to lose a final in that way. However, however the memories were, you know, however good the memories were. And of course, we had such a I've got such great fond memories of the whole UEFA uh, ride the journey, the trip, you know, beating um, Blackburn Rovers, beating Rebel Mile Club. I love Blackburn mm. Rovers, but I love putting one over on them when, you know, especially after what Graham Souness and Gary <laughs> yeah. Flitcroft had said after the first leg, the men against boys stuff. I mean, that was that was sweet as much as I love Blackburn. Uh, and then, of course, the, the Liverpool night, which was one of the greatest nights, Bobo Baldi broke my bloody wrist the uh, the week before that, so I I couldn't play it. The sit I actually sat at home and and watched it, but that was that was a special special evening. John Hartson's goal that night, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Alan Thompson's lucky free kick where he claimed he meant to sneak <laughs> yeah. it under the wall. Yeah, if you believe that, you believe anything. Um, but but the, the whole you know the run the the Larson goal in Boa Vista. There's nobody else on the planet who who could have scored that goal. The quickness of feet and the you know, it was like a scoop, wasn't it? But, you know, just the quickness to get the shot off. Uh, you know, great memories, but the final hurts. It was a, obviously that run to the UEFA Cup was orchestrated by Martin O'Neill and you've got a, a portion on your book talking about, you know, we need to bring to end the managerial merry-go-round. And, and this is something I'd sort of like to sort of push back a wee bit on, Chris, to see how you feel about it. Obviously, you cite Frank de Boer, and that's a bad example. But you're going to talk about Ranieri getting sacked from Leicester. If... You know, say for instance, Celtic sign a left back bowling goalie, and Neil Lennon has decided that he's not good enough, so they just don't play him. They just go out and get a new left mm. back. Why should that be different for a manager that doesn't work? If a manager comes in and he's obviously not good enough, why can't you just get rid of him and get someone else in? Well, I think if you you know if you go back twenty, thirty years um, and and look at the number of sackings all across, I mean all across the world, not just not just um, you know on on our shores. Managers actually got time to develop players. I mean, stability is so important, I think, at football clubs. And the 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 longer the opportunity to work with a group of players, the 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 bigger chance of of putting your imprint and your style on them you get. 
Uh, and but the, the issue nowadays is the game is is the views on on managers is, is such a short termist view. I mean that's just that's just the way it is. Now you, uh, I mean De Boer is an example of what happened to Crystal Palace. That was you know, crazy. Three or, or four games, and what you know, ima- just imagine the whole interview process. How that went. You know, he, he he's gone in and uh, you know he's given the board his his blueprint of of how it's going to work. That you're gonna you know he's gonna develop from within young players or whatever it was, which he said. And and the board at Crystal Palace at that particular time bought that wanted mm. to buy into that so then therefore how can you how can you be a few weeks down the line when that's all ripped up and and and, and thrown out the window it, it doesn't you know it, it it shouldn't work like that absolutely not managers i think all managers need time but the impatience now and i think the effect of uh, you, know, you know i think social media and mm. i think clubs actually do look at it and, and see what you know fans say and they get swayed football clubs, but you know you can't you can't judge a manager after six or eight games. I think Martin O'Neill, for example, when he first went to Leicester City, uh, didn't win a game within his first eight games. And you think you know just imagine had they sacked him, Leicester wouldn't have gone on to have the success which they did have. Martin O'Neill possibly would have never ended up at Celtic had there been that short-term approach. Sir Alex Ferguson down south at, at, at Manchester United didn't win a trophy for years. Look at the, you know, look, look at the success they had. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, for example, mm, yeah. you know, uh, went in at Manchester United, hit the ground running, then lost a pile of games. But this season, because and and, and uh, Edward with the, um, you know, the Manchester United CEO, actually stuck with him, and and this season, you know, he's getting credited with developing the likes of Mason Greenwood. And, uh, and and Marcus Rashford and these players are are coming on and United are better for it. So I think it, you know you know it just makes sense that if if clubs go through this this whole process are and are impressed with a certain manager, then they should at least give him more than more than a yeah. month or two months to to actually give him a chance to get his ideas uh, across. Have you, you, you've always been a, you know, a player at the highest level and you've been a very senior player in a lot of dressing rooms. Have you ever been at a club when a new manager's come in and you've instantly thought, this guy doesn't have it? Because you, by this point, but especially towards the end of your career, you'd know, you'd work with a lot of great managers. Have you ever worked with a guy, he's walked in first couple of days, first couple of weeks, and you just think, he, he doesn't have it, he's not going to last? Um, <laughs> you don't I know, have to you might be names. wanting me to say. No, um, no. Um, no, I haven't. I mean, you know, I was lucky with my upbringing at uh, Norwich. My first manager was a guy called Dave Stringer, uh, an ex-Norwich City player who I had a lot of respect for. He had a couple of good, good, really good coaches with him, and that was a good upbringing. But I've always, you know, I've always, as a as a player, um, respected each and every manager because you know it takes it, it actually takes a lot for for somebody to be to to become a manager. And I think you, we all have to respect that. Football coaches, all football coaches have different ideas in the in the way that they want to play. But all managers have, uh, in terms of their approach, um, pretty much all all made sense to me. I mean, I've, you know, I was lucky enough to play under the likes of Kenny Dalglish and uh, Roy Hodgson. Brian Kidd came in as a as a coach with a big big reputation at Blackburn Rovers. Things didn't work out um, for him, but they all have different 
you know, different styles and different traits and, and different attitudes in the way that they want to manage. And, uh, you know, I know, for example, that uh, one thing which did upset me as a Celtic player, when Martin O left, uh, when Martin O'Neill left the club and Gordon Strachan came in, in that first pre-season, there were a couple of players within the squad who, who uh, publicly said that the training was better mm-hmm. under Gordon. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, it's not, the, <laughs> I'm not going to comment whether it was better or it was worse. It was Gordon's style. But I didn't like that kind of tone where, you know, Martin O'Neill did a fantastic job at Celtic. And it's easy to turn around, you know, the king is dead, long live the king, yeah. and, and to talk up the new manager. But I think loyalty, you know, certainly it, it's a big thing for me. And there was always this perception. I, I interviewed Martin a couple of weeks ago, and that's another bugbear of mine, um, you know, with Martin, where, you know, people say, well, he, he didn't take the training. Well, well actually, he did. And 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 uh, you know, if he if he wasn't there a particular day, then he would delegate. And I I, I I never really I never really got why people were negative about that. What Martin O'Deal uh, did for Celtic Football Club is why Celtic Football Club are in a position of power right now, right in the here and now. He he transformed Celtic as a football club with you know what happened in the nineties, the Rangers dominance. He turned the tide with, with what he did. He, you know, he went and he galvanised the whole club, the support, the players, the staff loved him, and he changed the mindset. On a final thing on the managerial merry-go-round, much like I said about the the issue of diving, do you think there's a certain element of a kind of cultural thing because in other countries, such as well, Italy's a prime example. They seem to just chop and change managers all the time, and the key difference there is that there's never any damage to the manager's reputation he just goes it didn't work out and he'll go and get another job almost instantly it's not they don't have that culture of just branding managers a flop a failure you know i, I think there's a an element of that in, in in britain where if the if they sack a manager he's damaged goods and damages their reputation going forward i think that's a that's, you know it's a really good point how, how different uh different countries view the uh, that, you know, managers when when they leave a job and it's it, it's more seamless. Uh, yeah. Certainly, certainly on these shores, you know, if you if you fail, for example, Eddie Howe, I think he's done a fantastic job at Bournemouth. I say that, and you know, you can quite rightly say, well, Bournemouth have been relegated, but over the course of his time at Bournemouth, you know, he kept the he kept the club in the uh, in the football league when they looked absolutely dead and buried. Yeah. Uh, he got the club through the leagues. He's kept them in the Premier League, or he kept them in the Premier League for five years, playing a nice brand of football. This was one season too much. Now, he's lost his job, and people are thinking, is that the end for Eddie Howe? That's, mm. It's utterly ridiculous. But the other point I'd make about the um, about managers as well, and I think this is really relevant to Scottish football and Celtic, is youth development is so important for, for uh, Scottish clubs. Mm. And and Celtic have had, I'd, I'd say, a, a, a mixed history in, in uh, developing young players. I think that uh, the truth is, is with the resources that Celtic have and the, and the pull that Celtic have had over the years, I think that it's fair to say Celtic maybe could have done more and, and, and got more young players into the first team. Having said that, you, you, you could turn around and you could quite rightly throw, you know, my day, um, McGeady and Maloney at me. You know, Martin gave them the opportunity, 
and uh, and more so in uh, you know in recent times, James Forrest and Callum McGregor have been you know really big players for Celtic. So if a manager is uh, is is given time, then he can actually concentrate. He can actually have a look at what's happening below, who he wants to actually bring up into the team and give an opportunity to. But when there is the pressure on, when you have to win games, which is, you know, which is what Neil Lennon has to do as Celtic manager, and he knows a bad run in the season can have a catastrophic um, impact on the club, then I think we can all understand the mindset that managers all across the country would say, well, I'm going to go for a tried and tested player, a player who's maybe played international football. I'm going to give him the opportunity rather than giving a young player who's shown great promise, but I just can't trust him because we need to win th- this particular game. So, so, so giving managers time, in my view, allows and encourages youth development and, and therefore more stability. No, you're quite right because, you know, it's something that I'd never previously considered, but if a new manager comes in and there's, you know, there's, there's an instant pressure on him to win every mm. single game, then the youngsters are not, they're not really going to get a look in. He can't, he can't afford no. to take that chance. And that's the biggest thing. And I think we all, we, you know, we would all understand why managers make those decisions to give uh, your players who have been there and done it the opportunity rather than a young rookie coming up who's, you know, maybe been a little bit inconsistent, but, but shown some unbelievable promise. So therefore, if a manager knows that his job uh, isn't at risk, then you give him the chance. I mean, just I mean, we we I suppose we could use Hamilton as a, a good example mm. of that. I actually I may be miles off the mark, and you can you can tell me if I am, but I don't think that if Hamilton get relegated, it would uh, necessarily totally change the outlook from Hamilton. They are there to develop from within and give youth a chance, and they've been very good at it over the years. You touched on the, the subject of loyalty there, and that sort of brings me to another bugbear of mine that I picked up in your book, is about the mercenary players. Um, but I sometimes think there's a, a distinction to be drawn, because I think absolutely, you know, when you see these players and they're leaving the Premier League, as you say, examples, to go to Qatar and go to China, and it, it, may, be, it may be, you know, pretty close-minded of me to say that, but that doesn't strike me as, you know, a, a footballing nation. You know, it's not like... It, there's, there's no, they've not really got the, the footballing history there so like you say just just be up front just go look they're, they're paying me 500 grand a week I'm not going to get that in England that, that that's why I'm going yeah uh, well well totally um, it was Arnautovic wasn't it who um, Marco Arnautovic the West Ham striker who said that he wanted to go to uh, China to win trophies and you think <laughs> come on come yeah. on Marco I mean just to do you know what I, I, honestly I couldn't care less. If if that's his motive, I don't have a problem. I do not have a problem if that is uh, any player's motive. But just be upfront about it. Don't don't lie. I think we can all understand that, you know, in any walk of life, if somebody says we're going to pay you an astronomical figure, this is going to be life-changing. I suppose the only argument with um, with some of the, the top footballers, albeit they might be average players, but the Premier League, money in these days is is the fact that how much how much money do these players actually want yeah. to earn and, mm. and and that's an issue but if you want to go to china or qatar good good luck to you but don't you know don't hide behind you know i want to win the like you said the chinese league cup because it has a great <laughs> history and heritage i mean come on 
do you think there's a distinction to be drawn between you know the likes of Stuart Armstrong moving from Celtic to Southampton, and, and again another distinction to be drawn for the likes of Kieran Tierney moving from Celtic to Arsenal? I think, I think personally, I think there is. I don't, I don't think you could ever throw these labels at the likes of Kieran Tierney. Uh, what, what, sorry, what, what, do you, what do you mean in that respect? In in well, why they moved? Yeah, Kieran Tierney drew a lot of criticism from Celtic fans for you yeah. know moving from Celtic down to Arsenal. People were yeah. saying you know Arsenal are never going to win the league. But I think yeah. there's a distinction there between a player moving from the Premier League to China. I don't, I don't think they're in the yeah. same camp at all. No, uh, well, yeah, totally. I think that uh, that 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 is true. I do, I I don't have a problem with any player moving wherever he wants to move um, because that's his decision whether he wants to do it. You know, for his family, monetary reasons, and of course, players would would set them up for criticism, i.e., Anatovic in what he says because you know that was. Just total bullshit, uh, you know. Excuse my language, but with with uh, you know the likes of uh, Stuart Armstrong and Kieran Tierney, they're they're well within their rights to you know want to move. I know that you know we all have an affiliation for Celtic and Kieran Tierney. You know, I've no doubt that he's he still absolutely adores the club. You know, and and Stuart within uh, would and have great memories, and both players achieved so much because of that. Um, but if if players like Stuart and like Kieran want to go down and play in the the English Premier League, then I think that they're entitled to do that. We can't we can't sit and and kid ourselves on and say that the Scottish League is a better league than the English Premier League. Mm. That is not. But but we all know the pressures of what comes with Scottish football. The pressure at playing at the likes of Celtic and and how demanding it is. But then you know you look at you look at the rewards playing in in, in Europe, uh, playing in front of sixty thousand fans every week, playing for a huge global club. You know it's that's why I came north of the border to play. I'd, I'd offers to play, you know, to carry on playing down south, but I didn't, and it was the best move I ever made. You know, if I look back at any period, I've said this many times, that would be the period where if I could relive it, it would it would be then. But I think that. That you know, I understand Kieran Tierney's mindset and uh, and Stuart Armstrong's mindset and the fact that they want to go and uh, yeah. and and challenge themselves. And also, we can't deny that they would have been paid handsomely better um, at at their respective clubs than they would in Scotland. So uh, you know, I don't I don't think that uh, that that players should be should be. Uh, pilloried for for wanting to to, to move on. I know that it, it hurts the fans at times, but we all know that Celtic, whether we like it or not, is and has to be a selling club because of the nature of what the game is now. You know, eventually Celtic will have to let Odds and Edward go. Yeah, but they better not do it this season. No, no, <laughs> no, not. I think on the the Chinese thing. Um, I think from a fan's perspective, it just always seems like such a waste. A couple of the examples you use in the book are good ones. You mentioned Oscar, uh, the former Chelsea Brazilian midfielder, who I believe went to China at 25. Now, I, I, again, I don't wish to pass judgment on players for their, their decisions, for their their motivations, but to me that that just feels like a like a good player in his peak has just completely fallen off the map. I'm sure, again, it comes down to that thing where we just, traditionally don't consider that a footballing nation. I'm sure he would turn around to me and say, well, there's far more people over here who are going to see me play football than than ever before. But it, it just seems like, I know during when, when Oscar went to, to China, it just felt like 
there was that huge surge in players going to yeah. China, and it seemed like everyone was going to go to China. And I know I think the Chinese government eventually cracked down on it. And yeah, said, there's well, a this, limit now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, this stops. So, but whether it's China or whether it's somewhere else, there's always going to be somewhere, be it Qatar, be it Russia, or somewhere that might pop up as a kind of footballing hotbed. It just feels, it just feels a bit of a. Yeah, just from a fan's perspective, just taking money out of it, it just seems like we're being robbed of good players for the sake of, yeah, you know, as you as you call them, a mercenary footballer. Yeah, well, look, if it, the the truth is, and you mentioned Oscar, and that's a really good example, and it's a good example because he's a terrific player. Yeah, but you'd have to question his his desire because if you're a if you're a top top player, you you know you want to. You want to win the, the the Champions League. You want to win one of the big leagues. That's that's just the way it is. You know, don't don't you know bolt off to China and pretend you you know you're doing it for the for the, you know the for the right reasons. Yeah. Because China is a great league and the Qatari league is is magnificent and you know their their particular countries will say well it is you know with you know we like it and I get that but we can't you know we can't. We can't pretend that a player in his pomp, like Oscar, in his prime, uh, with years to play, going over there, he's doing it for any other reason than to earn a shed load of money, and that's it. So if you just, you know, if Oscar had just said, "I'm just doing it for the money," if Arnautovic said, "I'm just doing it for the money," I don't care what you think, then I would never have had to write the chapter in the <laughs> yeah. book. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's a lot of this book, Chris, that I, that's really chimed with me. You know, it's there's a lot of stuff you're reading that you're thinking, right, aye, exactly. And another one that I, I really picked up on was the, the, the footballers' post-match interviews. See, honest with you, a lot of the time I'm watching them and I think, what is the point in having this guy in front of a, yeah. a microphone? Because they just, a great game, uh, it was a great ball for such and such, and I managed to put it in the back of the net. Thanks very much, here's your champagne, and off they go. It's, it's, it's so boring half the time, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, as you well know, I've had, uh, you know, I've seen both sides. I, do you know what? I can, I can understand it because you never want to set yourself up and you need, you know, you tow the party line. That's, you know, that's, that's part and parcel of, you know, doing the right thing. Um, but we don't want that. I mean, no. when, when, when I was younger at, uh, at Norwich City and, um, I eventually went for a British record transfer fee. I, uh, I, I used to buy all the newspapers every day because I, you know, I was on the back a lot linked with Manchester United or Liverpool, and and I mean this is this is you know my story on on you know how I felt about the media, and I loved it. I loved the headlines. I loved all the publicity. You know, I was a big head. Uh, you know, swanning around and oh, you know, look at me, this that and the other. Then I went to Blackburn, right? Overnight, I, I was getting unbelievable praise at Norwich. Overnight, um, is he worth the money? You know, moved to Blackburn, £5 million. And then first game of pre-season in Norway, it didn't score. Looks a flop. And then, are you serious? You know, are they, I, think, I think we played a team called Steinker and the headline was Sutton has a Steinker. And we beat them and I didn't score. And you think, so overnight, sort of things changed, and I didn't. Things changed, and I didn't like. I didn't like it, and I didn't like the criticism. And then I had to, sort of a time, the time at Chelsea where things uh, didn't go well, and I was a laughing stock down south. That's that, that. That's the way it is. You go for big money, you don't score goals, and you know maybe at that particular time or those particular times, I wasn't you know mentally strong enough. But nobody likes criticism. And then you know, so so the way I would handle interviews is I'd think, well, basically, sort of. You know, I don't like this. Sod them. I was immature, and uh, and then I came up to Celtic, and we used to have um, we, we used to talk in the dressing room and and go into um, into press conferences and say things like let's let's see who can say the least. <laughs> so we go in and sort of say yes, and no. I mean it's awful, uh, but. You know, I wish I wish in many ways I had a greater understanding when I was younger, and I know nowadays this this goes on at, at all football clubs, in that uh, players do have media training, and that's why they toe the party line. But what we want is we want uh, in the media, and we all know this: we want authentic, and we want honest, and we want from the heart. Yeah. And I mentioned uh, Jeremy Frimpong in the book. That was one of the greatest interviews. I've ever seen because as a, as a, I mean, I was at the game, but just imagine that sitting at home uh, in your armchair, looking at this, this guy who loves 
football. Mm. And, and and that was the message which we all got from that. And he told the truth and he was happy. And so, I mean, it was uh, it, it was brilliant. It was from the heart. And, yeah. and that's what we want. We, you know, we want managers to come out from the heart and say things. I, you know, I had the moment from the heart after the, uh, you know, we lost the league on the, the on the last yes. night at Kilmarnock. And, um, you know, and that was interesting because I said what everybody else said in the dressing room. And then, uh, and, and then I came out and I got sent off twice. I, I think I got a five, six game ban or something like that, reduced to a five game ban due to my good reputation. That was a laugh. And then, uh, and, uh, and then I was waiting for all the support from my teammates who would come out and say, yeah, we're all with Chris. Uh, when I was getting all the legal actions through the, you know, coming through and what have you, and not a jot. They absolutely stuffed me, the whole lot of them, didn't they? So, uh, so you have to be careful what you say. But uh, no, that's that's what we want, isn't it? You know, you want managers to come out, and you, you, we just want them to to be honest. We don't want. I didn't see that. I didn't see that penalty incident, or you know, yeah. always pro their own team. Just, just, just say it as it is. I think that's that's what people want. I mean. You- that's, I think that's why, you know, one of the reasons that you're so popular as a pundit as well is you seem to, you seem to love the, the football punditry, you seem to love the commentary, you love throwing in the occasional grenade, which is, you know, it, it's it's entertainment, it's a bit of rough and tumble, that's what the, the fans want to see. You seem to love it, you, you do love it, don't you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, what, I, I, I speak what I think, I tell mm. the truth, and for, for an example, I mean, I, I use social media. I mean, it's not a place for the for the for the thin-skinned and the faint-hearted. You know, it's, it's, I would hate to you've see got to have a thick get, skin. I hate to see what you're getting. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's incredible, really. I mean, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning if I took things to heart. But for, for example, at the you know, I, at, at the weekend, I genuinely thought Scott Bain maybe could have done better uh, with the goal. And then you get you get there's an element of, and I understand there are people out there who say, well. That's harsh. That's their opinion. I respect their opinion. In my opinion, I, you know, I thought you could have done better. And then you, you know, you do get you do get football fans, Celtic fans, who because they love the club, and I totally get this, won't have a bad word said about any particular player. And I understand that, but that's not what my job is. And uh, and you know, I I say what I feel. We all don't. You know, we don't have to agree on everything. Absolutely not. But also, we don't then have to <laughs> throw names out and uh, and say horrible things and and you know for things to get out of hand. It's you know it's you know we all see the game differently, and that's why that that's why I love the game because we sit and we can discuss. I like being on social media and and you know having discussions with with fans and people and that that's the you know that's the beauty of social media but things often escalate and uh, uh, and and get out of hand but it, you know Celtic have been phenomenal what they've done over the last few years and you know the Brendan Rodgers era and you know all, how all that ended was amazing uh, uh the you know the 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 period with Ronnie Dyler where I said things about about Ronnie, well, Ronnie still won a you know a couple of titles, and I'd, mm. I'd take my hat off to him. As you know, it wasn't um, an easy job, but you know, I said what I said at that particular time. I think I was right in what I said. You know, I mean, I, I have I have who I consider a friend managing the club now, Neil Lennon. But if Celtic play badly, I can't say I can't say anything 
other than they play badly. Yeah. And if I think he makes a, you know, a, a, a tactical decision which is wrong, then I'll have to say it yeah. because that's, you know, that's <laughs> you, you can't become sycophantic. No. Um, you, you know, towards to, towards the club. That's not what my job is, but I wouldn't do that anyway. I was lucky to play in a dressing room where, and the beauty about the dressing room, the likes of the characters, Lambert, Larson, uh, Mialbi, Hartson, um, you know, Neil Lennon. The beauty of the dressing room was, and, and why I think we had success, is because everybody was pretty straight mm. and, uh, you know, would just say what they thought. There's no point, you know, papering over the cracks or you're not, or, or how should I say, it, not being up front. You know, you 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 want to be demanding. So you say, you know, if if you if somebody's having a poor game and things aren't aren't working out, then you you have to tell them. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to tell them and try and motivate and cajole and and get them to do better. And that's you know that's just speaking the truth. You know, we all. We all have our players who we admire and, and, and players who we don't like so much, but we can't get to the stage where we, you know, if somebody's having a bad game, we, we can't say that because we, you know, just have an affiliation with the club. Of course we can. We all have views. On the, the book itself, the, there's, the overall tone of it is uh, very Chris Sutton, if you don't mind me saying so. That it has that the, the sense of frustration, but also just the, the slight hint of, that that Chris Sutton smirk, you know, that could it be tongue in cheek? That kind of cheekiness uh, running few, through it. Yeah, there's a few yeah. tongue in cheeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you you address in the introduction that it, this book isn't just going to be a grumpy man climbing onto his soapbox to just have him on. Believe me, I know what those accusations are like. I've had a podcast, a football <laughs> podcast, for five years, so I, I'm no stranger to those accusations. But uh, on on the the book itself, there are more some more serious and some kind of sobering moments in it. Um, you address uh, the issue of dementia in football and make mention of your own experiences with that as it comes through your, the decline of your, your father, Mike. Um, is that something you feel football has to take an awful lot more seriously? Are you across the, the latest studies into that kind of thing as it pertains to football? Yeah, um, you know, without a doubt, I, I saw my dad uh, for the first time in five months um, last. Was it last Thursday? I think it was. I went to see him, and uh, he, he's just, you know, he's massively declining, which is what dementia does. I think he's had it for the best part of a decade. He's in a in a care home now, and it's, it's horrible, as in, you know, anybody could imagine. Um, you know, he was. Uh, colossus to me really a, a strong man he was a former professional footballer and he, he retired yeah. at 28 and, and went into teaching and he was a really well respected uh, teacher he was a PE teacher and the one thing which which I you know really um, really proud of him for is you know I've sent a couple of pictures out on social media and people who I've never known who who he used to teach at school like They'll 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 tweet back and say I hope he's well. He was a you know a, a great teacher. He was one. He was one. He uh, a lot of the bad boys liked him, and and respected him. And he used to get them uh, playing football and and really into it. And you know he had, he had an uh, an attraction in that respect that uh, that people looked up to him. He could be tough. He could be extremely tough. But he uh, he, he had some brilliant uh, qualities and uh, and was you know so so popular and then you know he he just 
he retired from teaching and then one day he uh little thing i went to watch uh, uh watch my son play with him we live in different parts of the county but he uh he drove to the game and uh he he knows the you know norwich extremely well and he couldn't find his way back and that was pretty alarming and then things escalated um really really quite quickly with him and uh i mean this you know he's just he's a shell now of a man he doesn't know how to eat he doesn't know how to you know he can't toilet properly he can't he can't walk properly and it's you know it's horrible and the issue i have with football with this and that you know the 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 studies have been done by willie stewart up in glasgow and mm-hmm. there's the the study out where you you're th- uh, three and a half times more likely to to get dementia uh, if you if you played football five times more likely to get Alzheimer's if you um, you know if you if you played football and there are ex footballers um, are former great footballers um, all across the country who have have suffered from this horrible horrible illness it's a it's a cruel disease and the players union down south and the, the head of the players union uh, Gordon Taylor isn't fit for purpose in my view because this is a guy when the testing stops and the testing you know these things do happen not all testing works but when the testing stopped he knowingly knew it was stopped and didn't flag it up for over a decade that 10-year window that 10-year window who knows what could have happened? It, it, you know, there may never have ever been a, a link found or a cure found. But just imagine, had there been an urgency back then, and the likes of Dawn Astle, who has really led this whole campaign, whose father Jeff Astle was a former footballer. Uh, um, he died at, at, at 59, far too young. And she's she's led a campaign you know, for for people to take this this whole issue, the link between heading a ball and um, and dementia, far more seriously. There hasn't been the funding, there hasn't been the effort, and but the issue with the PFA is is that, in my opinion, Gordon Taylor has a duty of care towards his uh, towards his members, and he should have done everything within his power to support. His members. He hasn't supported my father. He hasn't supported hundreds and thousands of of of, of, of ex players who were dying in the most horrible, horrible fashion around the country. And and this whole this whole campaign, it it we go through periods where you feel like you're getting somewhere, and then it just and then people. It's just swept under the carpet again, and, and you know other things emerge and, and seem more important. But you know it's it, it's 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 a horrible, horrible illness, and and it's not just the it's not just my father who suffers. You know my my mum and the rest of the family. You know my mum has been with my dad for fifty six years, and she she you know goes to see him, but. You could imagine it's um, you know it's really hard for her because she goes and sees a, a man who who doesn't know her anymore and uh, you know that's it, it's that's that's absolutely heartbreaking it is but we yeah. you know we aren't the only ones there are you know hundreds thousands of players and and, and their families suffering and the biggest issue with, with it is this is that in and this will happen and there's no doubt about this if if there's not the urgency shown. In 15 or 20 years, my generation of, of player, we will end up 
having dementia or Alzheimer's, that there'll be a certain number because that's that's just going to happen. Mm. And their families will say, why on earth didn't we do something back then? Why on earth was there not enough urgency shown back then? And this will just be a continuous cycle. It will carry on and it will carry on and it will carry on until we actually put a foot down and do more and there's more funding and, and there's more urgency. It's not going to save my dad. I, I know I know that now. I go and I, I sit with him and I speak to him and I don't know whether he knows me or not. And it's, you know, it's it's tough to take. I, I you know, my, my whole outlook on the things I try and be, I try and be cheerful with him. And I, I just, uh, I, I try and hope that somehow he he knows what i'm saying if that if that makes any sense and he, he takes something in but that's all it is you know there's nothing there anymore you're right it's a, you know it's a really terrible illness and it's, a, it's something that i've got personal experience with as well in my family and it, you're right for something so serious so serious that's affecting so many men that played the game it, it really should be front and center for, uh, until they find a solution it seemed to as you say it seems to come in peaks and troughs it sort of picks up and it becomes the hot topic for a couple of months and then it dies off and then it ha- it, they constantly have to reignite the discussion about it it seems yeah. and, and and we'll read every week you know there's there's another you know story in the paper i'm in touch i'm you know i'm in touch with a lot of um um ex ex players children the likes of dawn astle john styles nobby styles won a world cup mm. nobby styles won the world cup for england and he's rotting away mm. in a nursing home and you know like he's forgotten, and it's you know it's uh, it's you know it is it's, it's absolutely shocking. It's absolutely shocking. It's, you know, and it's all it's across the board. It's down south. It's in Scotland. It's there. It's real. It's it's happened, and you know it's just it's it's the most horrible suffering. It really is. There's no there's no you know things don't things don't get better with dementia. It's not like. You know, they, you, you go one week where things are okay, uh, the next week things aren't so okay, and then things perk up. It's it's downhill. It's yeah. you know it, it it's it's continuous until you know. I, I think most people when they die, I think they what I'm told they just they just choke to death. Yes, <laughs> Which it is. I mean, it's honestly terrible. It's really it's a difficult thing to watch. It really is a difficult thing to watch someone that you know and love go through something like that. No, I mean, look, I mean, there's sort of uh, <laughs> just one of the heavy subjects, which, yeah, you know, is, is I, I find it really tough to talk about for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. You know, as, as anybody to get that in there. Yeah. You know. no, 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 no. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Another another one of uh, my bugbears is uh, and I do think this is an interesting one. And and I know I'm getting on a bit, but I'm not that old. But the 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 biggest impact on the sporting world uh in terms of technology and you can think well you know is it is it var uh, is it is it hawkeye um you know with the with, with the cricket and the tennis or the drs with the cricket sorry um but it's the smartphone and the and and the yeah. smartphone i mean the, i mean it is it it is i mean it's really interesting this uh but the population is increasing, but participation in sport 
is decreasing. Mm. And I think it's mainly because of the smartphone. My mum said to me, if you drive through, if you, if you drove through any village or town 40 years ago, you see kids uh, with the jumpers down as goalposts, kicking a ball, smashing ball into the hedge, smashing balls into the hedges, but they would, they would be playing together. We have the third highest obesity rate in Europe and kids because of technology and there, there is a there is an upside to technology so i'll say that you know first of all uh, you know i'm not just giving technology a kicking but you know the with with the, with the phones it helps people have social connect uh, connections and you know interpersonal relationships so I, I understand that but there's a huge huge downside to it as well i think it's i think i'm right in saying that uh, that the average teenager every day checks their phone 63 times a day yeah. which is absolutely staggering and then you know you get into gaming and uh, you know my and, and you know uh, massive hypocrite here because my kids are, but they drive me potty they drive me absolutely potty with the technology it, you know they're, they're on they're on whatsapp tiktok whatever you want to call it, texting um facetime snapchat I mean, it's absolutely staggering. And then they're on. I mean, there's, there was there's talk. They're on these PlayStation things all the time, and there was talk of um, there's talk of um, esports becoming an Olympic sport. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you couldn't make that up. So you think, well, like the Olympics, where you know it's about athleticism and running and jumping and and physicality and speed and movement, agility and you know, we're actually going to give out Olympic medals for kids sitting there twiddling the joystick and eating pies and crisps <laughs> and and drinking iron brew. I mean, are we serious? It's, I mean, come on. It's I mean, a, but it's a very serious. You know, it is a really serious. There is a really serious point to this. Mm. It's you know, it's grassroots grassroots football football clubs in my area. Leagues are disbanding. And you think how can this how can this be possible when the population is on the increase? It you know that doesn't that that doesn't make sense. But it is it's because of technology. If you if you drive through any city, if you drive through Glasgow city centre, and you watch people walking around, they'll have their heads down. A lot of them will have their heads down. And what are they doing? They have their heads down. They're checking their phone. And the other thing, just to continue my rant on this, another <laughs> another chapter is. This drives me potty. You go to a football match and people will be missing goals because all they're interested in is filming the game or taking a selfie. So glad you mentioned that. So glad you mentioned it. It drives me nuts. Not to be, I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, put the boot into my wife here at all. <laughs> but, right, she's terrible, right? Every, virtually every time we go out, she will say, come on, let's have a photo. Let's have a, can somebody take a photo of us? Why can't we just have one day, just one, just one day, just one day where we don't have a, a photo of it? You know, how many photos do you need? I mean, it's just a touch people. But, you know, imagine that. Imagine going to, imagine, you know, going to or being at the UEFA Cup final and, and Larson scoring that towering header where he leaps, you know, brilliant spring and he heads it back across. And somebody could, you know, that particular time could have been taking a selfie, dropped the phone, missed the goal. <laughs> you paid all that money to go out there. I mean, it's, you know, God. It's one thing I mean, when you're at the game as well, Chris, you see it, you know, like I've I've got no kids of my own, um, but I went, when I'm sitting around the guys beside me, you know, they're taking the young kids and 
it's like they've got a fight on their hands a lot of the time, getting mm-hmm. the kid to actually watch the game because he's too busy either looking on Twitter or yeah. messing about with his phone. He's sat there. The football's actually happening. You know, Celtic are actually playing yards in yeah. front of him. He just needs to pick his head up and watch it. But a lot of the time, they'd rather be taking pictures of themselves or texting their fans, eh, texting their pals rather, or on the phone. Yeah. But do, do you know what? Years ago, <laughs> seriously, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak for you. But years ago, because there was no technology, you used to have to get up in the morning and think of something to do. So that's why, but, that, but that's why people would end up going down. You know, that's why I'd, I'd end up going to meet my friends in the village and go down the park and play football or, or whatever sport, you know, we'd, we'd, so when the Olympics was on, we'd have our own Olympics and this, that and the other, which, you know, great for your health and, and, and well-being, all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, my, you know, my first thing my uh, 17-year-old son does in the morning, that's when he bothers to get up, is he'll, uh, he'll, he'll get straight on his phone and start chatting with his mates. And then he might take a picture of his cornflakes and then he might send it to them. And you think, are you suing? Why are you, you just, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You're an idiot. What you, you know, come on. Do get up and room? do something. Do you think players hey? sit there at half time and before the game, do you think they sit there on the phones or do you think they're well banned by now? They must be banned. They must be banned. I mean, after games now, which is fair enough, you see, you know, uh, teams, you know, taking pictures in dressing rooms and selfies, and and that that's all okay. But I do, think, you know, there is a. Well, I was having a laugh and a joke about it. There is a, a very serious side to this in in the fact that you know years down the line, are we going to be developing footballers of the future? Yeah. You know, you think about the Scottish national team. If all the kids, if most of the kids, it's a numbers game, isn't it? If most of the kids are more interested in the technology, their iPhones, the Playstations, when are they actually going to be out and, and doing the repetitive kicking, the street football, which is where you actually, you know, learn how to play. Instinct is a really important part of football. I kicked, I kicked, and I say this to my sons, I kicked hundreds and thousands of balls more than they ever kicked during yeah. the week. And that's, uh, and I'm, you know, I don't say that as a thing to, to, you know, be to put them down in any way. That's just the way it was. And I, 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 I feel very lucky to have been brought up in the era which I was brought up because, uh, and I'm not saying this wouldn't have been the case had I known that there were, you know, these other things, these playstations and, and, and phones which you can get addicted to, and it is an addiction then I may have been sucked in like everybody else and I would never have had the memories and the career which which I would have had because I yep. certainly wouldn't have been doing the hard yards and, and I wouldn't have been practising. I'm conscious that I might come across as a little bit kind of old man doesn't understand the kids and he's shouting about <laughs> shouting about their music just being noise and all that but there's a there's a, an old episode of South Park years ago where all the kids became addicted to Guitar Hero and they were just playing it constantly and one of the dads brings out brings out a real guitar and they all just look at him as if like why would you want to why would you want to do that that's pathetic <laughs> i suppose there's a certain element of that when it comes to why why play football when you can just do it we can just play fifa online that's that's surely better i, I don't know if there's an element of that <laughs> but it's so, it's so wide reaching though because karamoko dembele who is who's at celtic just now who is you know for all intents and purposes has barely kicked a ball for the first team is is huge on instagram and youtube he's a huge social media star he's got more followers than Celtic, the football club do, um, right. and that's just like a that's just a reflection of the, the sort of way that football is going at the moment. 
kids are more interested in the sort of social media aspect of the player rather than you know if, if they're actually any any good at the game I just want to say thanks very much to, to Chris for joining us that was great appreciate that Chris no, thank you for having me on thank you uh, and take care and we'll speak to you soon You can find Chris Sutton's new book, You're Better Than That, at octopusbooks.co.uk or any good book retailer. You can also find the audiobook version narrated by Chris himself at audible.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.